20, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and we're going to read verses 17 through 27. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 27, and we're going to go right into the message this morning. Um, so we'll read the scripture, then we'll pray, and then we'll go into the, into the message. Let's stand together, we'll read these verses, 11 verses in unison. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 27. Ready? And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus... And called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and affliction abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I want you to notice verse number 24. And, of course, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's making a transition in his life. He has traveled on his missionary journeys. Now his life is about to transition from one of traveling and preaching and starting churches to one of being in courts, being in custody, being in prison. This is where a good part of his writing of the epistles begins. And he doesn't know all this. I think he senses that a... a, uh, a um, um, Transition is taking place because he said, now I go bound unto Jerusalem. But he's not talking about, he's not in chains. He's going bound to Jerusalem, meaning he's bound by the Holy Spirit. He he senses, I believe, something is going on. But he says, he makes this statement. He calls, he doesn't go into Ephesus because I think he thinks, if I go into Ephesus, they're never going to let me leave. Ephesus was one of the most beloved of the churches that he served. And I think he thought, man, if I go there, they're just, I'm going to have the hardest time leaving. So let's keep this meeting in a temporary spot so that we know this meeting doesn't last long, but I want to see them 
one more time. And so he, uh, he calls and he has the folks from Ephesus come out to meet him on his journey. And basically he is saying goodbye to them here. And uh, he said, but he makes this statement that I may finish my course with joy. Now, I'll be totally frank with you. If, if my brain wasn't fried right now, I probably could tell you where. But somewhere in the last month, I've heard a message on that. Do you remember somebody was at camp meeting? I don't know. I heard somebody preach on how to finish your course with joy. Was that here? Somebody remember? Uh, I Boy, whoever it was, don't tell them that it was, it's, we don't remember. Um, somewhere in the last few weeks, I've heard somebody preach how to finish your course with joy. Um, I'm not preaching that man's message, but I am using this text to uh, help you. Listen, I'll, I'll share this now. I was going to use it to introduce the, the message itself in a minute, but in my um, in the church that I preached in last Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, I was the speaker last Sunday for both services, and then I was joined by a pastor from Wisconsin. That uh, whom I had never met before, and he's a tremendous pastor named Dean Noonan, his first time meeting him. And when he found out that uh, Amy's mom had passed away, and he knew that I was uh, anxious to get on the road Tuesday night, and uh, so he, but he, this is the first time meeting this man, uh, he sat down next to me and he said, he said, Brother Joe, he said, let me just share this with you. He said, if it's a, if it's a help to you, he said, I did my wife's father's funeral not too long ago and uh he said here's here's what i stressed that helped all of us and that is that this man spent his entire life preparing for what just happened a couple days ago he spent his entire life preparing to see god he said that really puts it into perspective and it does put it into perspective by the way you'll know when you see God, that you should have been preparing. So why not wake up now and say, wait a minute, what do I need to do so that when that moment comes, my life is, is you realize it doesn't matter what you own, it doesn't matter what you accomplish, it doesn't matter what name you make for yourself while you're here, it doesn't matter how many friends you have or how much fun you had. When you see God, all that's going to matter is what you've done to prepare and Paul knew that, and that's why he said, and there was still, he had, he had a lot of life left yet. He wasn't close to the end, but he did say that I may finish my course with joy. And so I want to share with you this morning about how to finish your course with joy based upon the testimony of the lady that uh, we said goodbye to this past week. We'll go to prayer, and you'll be seated, and then we're going to get right into the message this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, as we think of a dear lady in the Bronx, even as we speak, finishing her course, and I hope it is with joy. But Lord, I pray that uh, as we look at uh, uh, the life of ladies, uh, some, some folks in this room, knew her well. Other folks in this room met her but didn't know her well, and others don't know the first thing about her. And yet her example will speak loudly to us this morning. And I pray that you would please speak to our hearts. Help this not to be. I don't, I don't enjoy uh, just 
sitting and listening to somebody eulogize that I never met. And I don't want to do that to anyone today. I prayed it would be more than that. I pray, Lord, that you would cause Marjorie Hayes to be a real-life figure in our hearts for a few minutes so that we can learn from her example. Bless our time together, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Be seated, please. I want to begin this morning by, and I'm going to defer to her if, if you feel like this is a good time. I've already asked my wife if she would say a few words, and I said I'll have it during the message. You feel comfortable right now? You want me to get rolling a little bit, and you're good? All righty. I'm going to ask my wife to come, and she's just going to talk about what the Lord has done in her heart this past week, and uh, you listen. Would you listen with ears of uh, uh, people that understand that what she's describing is a road, uh, the loss of a loved one is a road down which every one of us is going to go many times in our, in our lives, but of, of your loss of your mom, you're going to go down that road one time, and uh, so you can learn from what she has to say this morning. I wasn't sure what I would talk about this morning. So many of you knew my mom, knew what a great lady she she is. But I've been talking about my mom for a couple of decades. Wherever I go, I share her story. So this morning isn't going to be anything new. It just um, I could talk for hours, and I have just a few minutes. But you know, my mom has been sick since she was younger than I am. She first, her life was first threatened in childbirth when she was 40, 39. And um, she just willed herself through that, and of course, God protected her. She had a cerebral hemorrhage at 40, and we all gathered around her bed and said goodbye to her, and she defied medicine and came back from it. It happened again when she was 48 years old, second cerebral hemorrhage. They said she'd never live through the first one. If she had another one, she's immediately gone, and she lived. She had three bouts of cancer. She was left to be a single mom. She was legally blind from birth, so she never even saw well enough to drive a car. She's not a person that ever sought the spotlight or uh, wanted to be known in a public way. She got very uncomfortable in the last few years when she knew that I was talking about her at different places. She didn't want that. But I knew it was an encouragement for people to hear her story because her faith was so strong. When I was a little girl... You know how parents do <laughs> when you're when you're walking down the sidewalk or whatever you're you're the parent, so you walk closest to the road. So when I was a little girl, I held my mom's left hand everywhere we walked because she never drove, so we walked a lot. And we lived in a in a small town, Dothan, Alabama, where everything was pretty accessible by walking. It wasn't I mean it it was still over a mile to the grocery store, but it wasn't that far. And I enjoyed walking with her and spending time with her. But I always held her left hand 
because she was closest to the road and she was protecting me. And as a 10-year-old little girl, I stood in the foyer of our church and I was holding her left hand. She came to pick me up from school. I was holding her left hand as she was served with divorce papers in the lobby of our church. And I, I look sometimes at what people leave church over today and I'm just baffled because my mom was brought to instant shame in the church that we loved. But even with that, she didn't leave that church. She didn't leave church. She didn't leave God. I remember walking out of the building, and we lived in the property in back of the church, and I remember saying to my mom, well, okay, we've lived for these months staying here, going to church here, going to school here, but now, of course, we're going to leave. Now we're not coming back here. And my mom said to me, why would we leave? People did this. God did not do this. This is, this is something a person did. And I realized very quickly that although I was holding my mom's left hand, her right hand was very firmly in God's. And he kept her strong through all of her health issues and being a single mother and trying to raise her children the best she could. On my wedding day, I held her left hand, told her she looked beautiful. And she had honestly just stopped thinking about that a long time ago. She, my mom didn't even wear makeup. She was clean and neat and then went about her business. But I told her she looked beautiful. I held her hand. And she truly did look beautiful. And so last week when I got a call from my brother, she was going in for outpatient surgery on Monday morning, just a minor thing. They were going to put in a new port for her dialysis. They, she had it here, and now that one had grown two weeks, so they were going to put a new one in her arm. And I told my brother, just, just text me when she's done. I just want to know when she's done, and then text me again when you get home, just so I know she's comfortable. And I got a text from my brother saying she's out, but... Um, There was a little problem in recovery. She stopped breathing, but she's okay now. And I said, oh, okay, that's strange. My mom had had a history of having trouble coming out of anesthesia. As you can imagine, with those kinds of health issues, you might struggle coming out from being under. But this was a little bit different. I just knew in my heart, this is different. (laughs) And so later that day, I got another text from my brother, and he said, they're going to keep her overnight just for observation. I said, okay. Tuesday, I called him, and I said, tell me what she's like. And he said, well, she's talking to me, but it's, you know, she's very weak. And, you know, I'm trying to process what to do, and and, uh I talked to her a little bit, but she couldn't answer me. She was in a, in a fast sleep by that point or at that point. So the next day, I called my brother again, and, and I just felt he probably wasn't telling me how bad it was, so I called her nurse at the hospital. And he said, if this was my mom, <clears throat> I'd be getting my siblings down here. So I knew then, okay, this is, this is probably it. But those of you who know my mom know it had been it before. (laughs) 
So I still was sort of struggling, you know, what do I do? So we made the decision to go, and Catherine went with me. And I won't go through all the details of the next few hours, but through the night, Friday night, I held her left hand. I sat by her her bed. I held her left hand until Jesus took it from me and took her to be with him. I'm so grateful that I had a lot more time with her than I ever thought I would have. I did not expect my mom to live to be 77 years of age. (laughs) And I'm so grateful for the time that I was given with her. And I could say a million different things, and I'll wrap it up pretty quickly, but my brother, my oldest brother, in talking about her at her homegoing service, used the verse in Proverbs 31, her children arise up and call her blessed. How do children know to rise up? How are they given that ability? Children can't get there on their own. They have to have an example of how to arise up. And my mom did that for me. She rose up during the most difficult of circumstances because she knew her Savior. (laughs) And he gave her the strength and the ability and the faith to be able to conquer so many hardships. My mom grew up in the home of an alcoholic. Her mom and dad were not just... Alcoholic is a nice word. They were falling down drunks, very abusive At 17, my mom said, there's got to be a better way to live than this. And she left home and went to school to be a lab technician, lived with her grandmother. And a short while after that, she met my dad and they got married. And when my mom was 21 and had a son, a preacher came by their house in Georgia, knocked on the door, and led my mom to Christ. And when my mom was baptized the following Sunday in the river, the pastor said to her, Margie, if Jesus came walking along the shore, would you be ashamed to meet him? And she said, you know, before you knocked on my door, I probably would have. I think I would have. But after you came by my house, I am ready to meet him. I wouldn't be ashamed to meet him. And I don't mean to portray my mom. My mom would not want to be portrayed as a perfect person because she wasn't. But this is also not a case where somebody goes to heaven and you have to drum up good things to say. My mom was an amazingly wonderful, loving. She loved hard, if you know what I mean by that. She loved deeply. She loved firmly. And no, she was not perfect But she lived to please her Savior once she met him. Once she figured out what that was all about, she said, my goodness, he gave his life for me. I can live for him. And she raised her four children to do the same. I'm sorry, I'm taking up too much time, but I'll close with this. I just have to tell this story because this just will tell you, if you'd never met my mom, this will tell you who she was. My mom was a collector of people 
not things. She, she didn't have the money to collect things anyway, but that was never important to her. She loved people. And if she, if she felt that there was some sort of connection, I mean, you just didn't get away from her. She was going to tease you and joke around with you and love you and, and be in your life. And you just couldn't, you couldn't push her away if you wanted to. She just wouldn't let you. <laughs> and last June, my mom had a nephrectomy because she had been diagnosed with kidney cancer. This was her third bout with cancer. So they were going to remove her kidney, and she made it through that fine. And when she was moved to a hospital room, her nurse, the very first nurse that was assigned to her after that procedure was a man named James. And my mom just felt there was something special about James, but she always had a habit of trying to get to know her nurses. I mean, she was, she was in hospitals more than she was at home sometimes. So she tried to get to know the people that cared for her, and she thanked them over and over again. But one night when James was in her room, she said, James, tell me about your family. And he just sort of put his head down and he said, it's not something I'm really comfortable talking about, but he said, when I, when I was young, I, I met my wife and we, we dated through high school, college. Then we got married and we have four little girls. And one day my wife just decided she didn't love me anymore. She loved somebody else. And he said, it's been really hard to care for my four girls without their mom. And then he just looked at my mom and he said, I don't know why I'm telling you all this. (laughs) And my mom said, I know why, because that's my story too. My husband said, I don't love you anymore, Margie. I love someone else. And he left me to raise four children. And she said, James, I will tell you, if your faith is firmly in God, he will help you do the impossible. Right now you think, how can I do this? How can I raise these four girls? But God will help you do the impossible. And she told James that night, she said, James, you're not my nurse anymore. You're my son. You're my third son. And from then on out, she always called him my son, James. When I came to see her the next month, she said, Amy, you have to meet your brother James. (laughs) And that's just what he became. One night, my mom got home from a hospital stay and realized that they had forgotten to remove the pick line from from her chest. And my brother, who was her amazing caregiver for six years, didn't want to have to take her back up to the hospital. They'd just gotten home a little while before. Her doctor's office was closed, so he called James. And James came by and had his four little girls with him so they could meet my mom, his, his mom. And he took about an hour, and he removed the pick line and got her all bandaged up and cared for her. And my mom learned his four little girls' names and got them each initial necklaces and little bags of candy and had it taken up to the hospital to thank him for what he had done for her. And my brother said when he gave the stuff to James, he just fell to his knees sobbing that somebody would love his children like that. But that's just my mom. (laughs) It was like, oh, of course she did that. Of 
course, because that's who she is. And we asked James to be a pallbearer the other day, and every nurse at the hospital that my mom had just treated her like the Queen of England. But James, James went above and beyond, and he said it was the honor of his life to be her pallbearer. My mom leaves behind a legacy of children and grandchildren and four great-grandchildren. I never thought she'd live to see great-grandchildren. She had four of them. And they have a legacy of a lady who loved her God, loved her family, loved people, never gave up. My mom was such a fighter, such a fighter, not just for her own health, but to will us through. I always tell people, my mom willed me to the life I have today. I have a happy life because my mom willed me in prayer and in sacrifice and in love. And I want to honor her with my life. I don't want to take what she, what she handed to me and squander it. One of the, I, I always loved my, to hear my mom say that she loved me, but that, that was just something she said all the time. I knew she loved me. I'm not, I don't mean to say it was trite because it wasn't. But I, I enjoyed hearing her say she loved me. But what I loved to hear her say was, I'm so proud of you, Amy. And I know that when she saw her Savior on Saturday morning, I know he looked at her and said, well done, Margie. I'm so proud of you. You did it. You never gave up. You trusted me to be your savior. You let me carry you through. Well done. And one day I will see her again. And you will too. If you, if you know the Lord is your savior, that, that would be the message that I would hope you would take with you today. Know him. Let him save you. Let him heal you. Let him love you. Thank you. Now listen carefully, and I'll be brief. We read books to meet people that we've never met, whether real or fictional. We watch movies to be introduced to people, whether real or fictional. Maybe you've never thought that through, but the fact of the matter is when you're done watching a movie or a television show and you say, oh, that was so great, the bottom line is you like it because you like the people that you've met, whether they are depicting somebody that really lived or somebody who is fictional. So all we're doing this morning, if you've never had the opportunity to meet Amy's mom, is introducing you to somebody who can impact you in a positive way. If you had never met Amy's mom, of course, she just described her as superwoman, and to be honest with you, before I met her, Amy and I were dating. That's the way Amy described her. And I thought before I met her the first time, wow, this is going to be some, some kind of incredible lady. I'm just being frank with you for your own benefit. When you met her, you were not overly impressed. She was a very simple lady, and I don't mean that as a slam. She was simple in her appearance. She was very simple in her personality. She was very quiet. And yet to see the legacy, okay, her four children, who were all four still living at home, 
when their very dynamic dad walked out the door without saying goodbye. All four of them graduated high school. All four of them went to and graduated from Bible college. At the under the leadership and the love of that simple lady. And all four of them now have children who, who love the Lord and are serving the Lord. All four of her children were at her bedside when she went to heaven. And all of her grandchildren were, were there at her, at her funeral. And there was no friction. There was no trouble. It, the, the, it was the most beautiful and peaceful. Let me say, everything about her home going is exactly what you want for yourself. I promise you that. So all that said, how do you finish your course with joy? This applies to everybody. I don't care who you are. You want to cross the finish line with, with joy. Two, two elements in there, first of all. The first one is finishing your course. Just because you live until you die doesn't mean you finished your course. Child of God, you have an assignment from God. That is the course that you are to run. A whole lot of people give up on their course before they ever die. So finishing your course is one thing. Being able to stand before God and say, as Paul eventually did, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Those were essentially his parting words. We know that from 2 Timothy. So it's one thing to finish your course. It's another thing also to finish your course with joy. High fives at the finish line. Amy's brother David described watching her pass as just the most incredible moment of peace and contentment as if to say, I finished my course. This may sound morbid to you, but it was very special to me. Amy actually took a picture and sent it to me. She said, I hope you don't think this is, this is over the line, but I just want you to see her face. It's just the most amazing. She's laying there still in the hospital bed just moments after she's passed away. And the most amazing look of joy and peace and contentment and a smile on her face. I've seen plenty of folks die over the years. There is a difference between people who die having finished their course with joy and those who did not. So how do you do that? Well, we assume, a lot of us assume, well, you know, uh, some people are lucky and some aren't. No, it ain't about lucky. Well, some, some, have, it, some have it easy so, so they can finish their, no, um, if you made a list of all the hard the hardships that my wife mentioned, I'm telling you, just the tip of the iceberg. There's stuff that she had going on her entire life that couldn't even be mentioned from the from in public. It wouldn't be fair. It's just too private. And yet she finished her course with joy. So it's not about some people have it easy, some people have it tough. It's about the choices you've made. I want to share with you some things that everybody that knew Margie Hayes knew these things were true. Number one, she loved Jesus intensely. I won't tell the story of her salvation again. I was planning to, but Amy did it, so you heard it. She loved Jesus intensely. Now look, when 
your husband has left you and your children are grown and they've all married and moved away and you're living in an apartment by yourself. There's a lot of time for reflection and introspection and that's when we're going to find out how much you love the Lord. She loved Jesus intensely. Something else about her, she loved her Bible. She loved her Bible. Anytime you went to her apartment, you, could, you didn't need anybody to tell you, this is where Granny Hayes reads her Bible. You saw it right there. It's where she met with the Lord. She loved her Bible. She was a prayer warrior. Amy's brother David lived with her for the last few years, and he, he himself, it, it, it just, just God bless them, uh, they both were legally blind, and they helped each other. But David said, how many times have I seen, I heard the phone ring, and she'd pick up the phone, and somebody on the other end would say, you know, uh, Margie, pray for so-and-so. They went to the hospital. Margie, pray for so-and-so. Uh, they're having trouble in their marriage. Pray for so-and-so, you know, my, my brother or whatever, um, and, and pray for... And he said, how many times did she hang up the phone? He said, I'd be in the next room, but I'd hear her hanging up the phone. And the next thing I'd hear was, dear Jesus, please bless. She's doing a right to prayer. She loved Jesus intensely. She loved her Bible. She was a prayer warrior. She was loyal and faithful to her church. My wife mentioned she was served with divorce papers in the, in the lobby of the church after she had given herself take care of children in the nursery. She This is tricky. You know the story is tricky. There were there were People in the church, because Amy's mom had been lied about, that took sides against her, including the pastor. But she stayed loyal and faithful to church. Two Sundays ago today was her last day in church. She, she didn't know it, but then it just sort of sounds from listening to people talk, she sort of knew it. But she knew she was going in for surgery the next day. She knew she didn't have the strength to get through it. And she went to Sunday school. She went to the morning service. She went Sunday night, which is, by the way, Last Sunday, or last Saturday night, I'm in Canada, and Amy's trying to get home, and... and um, Actually, I didn't, I didn't get to Canada until till Sunday morning about 2 o'clock. But we're back and forth, and <clears throat> she's catching planes, and I'm driving, and I'm saying, listen, don't go to church tomorrow. But I knew she was going to be here. Why? Because that's, that's who her mother raised her to be. Her mother didn't raise her to be somebody that church was optional. Church is something you do when you feel like it. Church, no, she put God's house first always. Even the very Sunday before she went to heaven, she went to church Sunday morning, uh, Sunday school. She went to her Sunday school class. If if you saw the video, that couple that sang for her, that was her Sunday school teacher for fifteen years. Those were the people. That couple that was not the only non-family couple that sang. That's the couple that came and picked her up for church every Sunday. And she was in her Sunday school class. 
two Sundays ago today, went to the morning service, came back for church Sunday night because that's who she was. She loved Jesus intentionally. She loved her Bible. She was a prayer warrior. She was loyal and faithful to her church. She loved and led her children. Through all their difficulties and struggles and the difficulties of of, uh, having your world ripped apart, to think that they would go on, all of them graduate high school and all of them graduate Bible college, that is an unbelievable accomplishment. She has guided them, all of them, over the years through their struggles, through their challenges. How did she do that? She did that. by And by the way, with what resources? She never had money. She never had this, she never had this booming personality. But even her, her oldest son, who is uh, almost as tall as I am, and, and he's just... Uh, he just as soon smack you in the head as say hello to you. He's just an ornery dude. I love him. He's great. I like to be with him, but he's just an ornery dude. But when mama said something, he did it. She loved and led her children. She did her best with what she had. As I said, she never had an abundance of money. Never. Always. I lived her entire life always coming up short financially. And yet, she did her best with what she had. She was always helping other people. Amy told the story of James. I won't tell it again, but I will add to it. Amy's brothers wanted, and this was tough for Amy wasn't crazy about this. Denise wasn't crazy about it. But um, they wanted to actually lower the casket while they were standing, while everybody was standing there. And the reason was this. They had... Um, They had seen her have to be moved from place to place her entire life. And her brothers just said, hey, we want to see her. It just, in in our hearts, see her put to rest and know she's not going to be moved again until God comes and gets her. So they watched it be lowered. And then one at a time, the families, her, her children, each child with their family, their children came and took some flowers from the bouquets and just dropped them down the top of the casket that's not our tradition here sometimes people place them on top of the casket while it's still but to throw it down into the into the grave that's that's a that's a very wow kind of a thing and so they went oldest to youngest and so uh, uh, ted and and, and uh, his kids, and then David and his kids, Amy and her kids, and then uh, Denise and her kids, and then James and his four girls that Amy talked about. That's how deeply she had touched somebody. So those four little, I'm going to tell you, those four little girls looked down into that hole with as much emotion as the grandkids did. That's how this simple little lady touched their lives. She went, she was always helping other people. Last of all, she never gave up. She never gave up. Now, you can take the, the message, and we're done. We're, we're way early. You can take the message one of two ways. You can take it as simple little outline. Oh, that's a, that's a cute outline. That was not a cute outline. Here's the way I hope you'll take it. That's a life of somebody who finished her course with joy, and I want to finish my course from joy with joy, so maybe there's something I can learn from that. 
Maybe there's something I can learn from that. Let's stand together. Father, I pray that you'd help us today.